Welcome to Thanks It's the Trauma. I'm Dr. Alyssa, and this is a podcast with my friends, Nikki and Heidi. We're connected by a unique and unusual experience, and we talk about it and other traumas with honesty, booze, and cuss words. Season one, episode two, Alyssa. Welcome to Thanks It's the Trauma podcast. All right, Alyssa, we're so excited to hear your story this morning, and it's Alyssa Tells All. So let's get started. Alyssa, I know that everyone that listened to episode one, and if you're just tuning in, rewind. This is going to be very confusing. Start at the beginning. So if you're joining us for episode two, then you know that Alyssa is about to take us on a journey and tell us her story of finding out that her spouse is transgender. And so before we get into like that bomb drop, Alyssa, why don't you just walk us through or share with us a little bit of who you are and your background and kind of what led you to that moment? I really don't even know where to start. Where were you Um, born? I was born in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And really we can start before that because I was, we can go back to my conception. Now there's a question. Because I was conceived in a petri dish with a sperm donor, I was one of the very early IVF kids, and I wouldn't find that out though until I was fifteen. But that's how I was conceived, and that definitely impacts my story and the way that I, the lens that I see things through. Well, this is interesting because we're actually recording on Infertility Awareness Week, so I am so curious about. I know it is timely, but I really thought you were about to tell me you remembered your, con- like you had a conception memory or something. And I was like, I have a lot to learn in this life. No, so, I do not. So your mom, was, was she married or was she a single woman? She was married to a man named Keith and they were young. My mom was, oh gosh, my mom was, I think 24 when she decided or, or was when I was conceived and she was married to Keith who could not have children. And so that's very young to go through the IVF process. Do you know any, like, do you know anything more about that story? Like, did they well, try for a long time or multiple miscarriages? <clears throat> male factor? No. So Keith was not always the most forthcoming person. He had had some kind of medical incident happen when he was very young that meant that he was infertile. And he knew that prior to getting married to my mom, but did not tell her that information until after they were married. And she was devastated because the only thing she ever wanted was to be a mom. So after some time after they got married, I don't know how he told her or how, how that came, that, that information came out, but then she just became very determined to have a child. And so somehow found out about this experimental program, Temple University in Philadelphia, and was free. And she went and one time and she was pregnant with me. Wow. Okay. So you said you found out when you were 15, but before we get to that, what was your childhood like? My childhood was confusing, sometimes lonely, and then sometimes feeling loved. So Keith was emotionally abusive 
occasionally physically abusive to my mom. And so I grew up with them married together until until I was, I think, nine or so. My mom decided to divorce him. And then I would go back and forth between the two houses, but mostly living with my mom. And so living with Keith was frightening. It was hard, I, I, but I didn't know for many, many years that the things he was doing were abusive. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have called it that. I just, you know, just knew he was unpredictable and frightening. But, but yeah, it was abusive. But then my mom could be really loving and warm. And I would spend a lot of time with my grandmother, who was the most maternal person ever. There were light spots in there too, but most of the hard... I didn't even have words for. So it wasn't even like I talked to anybody about any of it. Now you're using the name Keith and not dad. Tell me why that is. Well, a couple of reasons. One, he's not my biological father, thankfully. And two, like he never was, I mean, I called him dad for a number of years, but he was never a good dad. He was, he was not a, he was not a good dad. (laughs) And when I was 17, I completely cut off that relationship. One of the things we're going to talk about a lot in this podcast is namesake and like the importance of names. And so I just wanted to kind of hear from you on making the decision to choose, you know, a name rather than an affectionate name like dad. So now tell me, how did you find out when you were 15? What happened? Well... That was Keith also. So we're sitting in a sports bar called Bleachers in Franklin, Tennessee. And I'm getting a hot dog. And it's a really big, juicy hot dog. And I'm excited to sit down and eat it. And then Keith says to me, my kidney's failing. And this was a conversation we'd had a lot. He'd had a kidney transplant back in the early 90s. This was, at this time, late 90s or... So early 2000s. So he tells me his kidney is failing. He only has one and he had had a kidney transplant. His brother gave him a kidney. It's not working anymore. So this was, now I can see manipulative. What, you know, why do you tell your teenage kid your kidney's failing? Because you hope that she's going to say, well, I'll just give you my kidney. So that's what I said. I said, he set it up. I gave him exactly what he wanted. I'll give you mine. And he said, well, you can't. And I said, well, why not? He said, you tell your mother you wanted to know this. You tell your mother. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> wow. Still haven't, still haven't been into my juicy hot dog, by the way. Uh, it's just sitting there. We can send like, you one from Costco to make up for this moment. <laughs> I, said, I said, tell my mom that I want to know what. And he says, I don't even know the words he says. I remember this moment so clearly and I don't remember the words that he used. But in effect, he told me, I am not your biological father. We had to use a sperm donor to have you. And my world just spun out of control at that moment. Like I just, everything I thought I knew was a lie. Where did I come from? I'm not related to this person. And by the way, like up until this point, I had been at that time, my dad's like caretaker, his confidant in some ways, like the role of a wife is a very dysfunctional relationship, but I was, I, whatever he needed was, I was that for him. 
And so to find out he wasn't really my dad was, I mean, jarring isn't even, isn't even, it, it, was, it was just time stopping. And then I started crying and I got really upset. And then he got mad. I'm still your dad. You know, he didn't really get why this was upsetting to me. Now you're 15 years old. And so, I mean, do you have like, I mean, I'm assuming at this time you have a concept of like how babies are made. Like, have you already been sexually active yourself? I'm just trying to think through like a 15 year old's mind on like, did you know what IVF was or insemination? Like, were these new terms to you? I mean, where were you as a 15 year old maturity wise? Well, this is another black hole moment because I really, I truly don't remember any of the words that he said to me to explain what it was that happened. But in effect, I did get the message. He wasn't my biological father. Someone else was. I was definitely not sexually active because I was super Christian and was very committed to true love weights. And so, you know, I... I'm sure that I had an under, yeah, I'm sure that I knew about sperm and eggs and and all that. And that's how you have a baby, but yeah. Now you said that some of the, like looking back now, you know, you know that there was a lot of emotional abuse and some different things, but was this your first experience with a major trauma when you look back on your life? Like that moment, it wasn't. No. Do you want to share what? number that was of like, if you could go well, back when from you birth. Live with, when you live with somebody who's abusive, every day is somewhat traumatic, it's certainly a complex trauma, but then there is other types of traumas, you know, sexual abuse type traumas that I experienced from some peers as well before this happened. But yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm not going to let you gloss over. I was super Christian. Like explain to me what that means for you. And (laughs) kind of like what your relationship with, you know, what you said, Christian, so God or Jesus like was as a child growing up in the middle of trauma, like who was taking you to church and who was introducing you to your faith hypocritically, (laughs) I Uh, should say. Nobody. I mean, my family was not very religious. We went to church some, I have like vague memories of going to church when we lived in Pennsylvania. We moved to Tennessee when I was eight. And when we moved to Tennessee, I feel like, yeah, we tried out a couple of churches. It's just, my family wasn't super religious. My mom was not super religious. And then, so God was just like a concept. And then my mom married, my mom got remarried to Pat. And Pat was very religious. He was Church of Christ. And so we became Church of Christ. And again, that didn't really feel like a connection kind of thing to God. But when I was 14 is when I really became a Christian because of my peers. My peers started telling me about Jesus, encouraged me to go to church, this youth group, you know, those kind of things to suck in. And so I got sucked in and bought it all, every single bit of it, you know, had no doubt or questioning every word that the pastor said was true. And then I happened upon a kiss dating goodbye as a teenager. And so I kissed dating goodbye. And ironically, Joshua Harris, who wrote that book, now follows me on Instagram (laughs) because life is fucking weird. (laughs) Hey, Joshua, we'll tag you in this podcast episode. (laughs) 
Yeah. So I went to school, told all my friends, I kissed dating goodbye, which nobody was asking me on dates. So it was the most... <laughs> Just in case just you in had case. any bad ideas. Yeah, don't, don't do it. I'm not doing it. And, you know, I think like, again, now looking back, you know, it's hindsight thing. I think part of buying into that so much security culture stuff was also having experience with being sexually assaulted, you know, and like not wanting to open myself up sexually or being terrified of opening myself up sexually. And so I think like those <laughs> things partnered together were a perfect cocktail to create somebody who would buy all of it completely. So Alyssa, with all of this like tumultuous family life and then kind of, you know, I'm sorry if you judge me everyone, but like the toxic purity misconceptions that you were influenced by your peers, when did you leave that town or that place or those people? Did you go off to college? I did not. I had intentions of leaving for college, but man, got scared, you know, fearful of being on my own, not being able to make it on my own. So I went to community college and stayed at home during that. And then I started working at a church and I was able to finish my undergraduate online through Liberty University for free. (laughs) Probably don't need to tag them in this. Uh, I was able to go uh, for free because I was working at a church and they had some crazy scholarship. And so I got my undergraduate online through them. And so I lived at home all through college, did not really have that college experience at all. And then I moved out after I finished my undergraduate degree, but I didn't move far. I mean, I, we lived in Franklin, Tennessee. I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. So it was like 20 minutes away. And so really like my family was still a pretty constant part of my life at that point. And your family at this point was defined as your mom and your stepfather, Pat, and was Keith in your life at all? So I completely severed that relationship when I was a teenager. He kept trying to come back in. He showed up at my work. I was working at TJ Maxx. He showed up and was frantic and told me his wife had OD'd on something and was in the hospital. I didn't know his wife (laughs) because he wasn't a part of my life anymore. He would make sure I knew that he could still reach me. He would send me letters. Even after I moved, he would, he was very frightening and, and kind of had some stalker type behaviors, which sounds weird when you think about it as like a dad or something. But when it's somebody that you cut out of your life, it's pretty frightening. And I would have, you know, nightmares that he was going to show up and kill my mom or show up and kill me. So yes, I definitely, he was not a part of my life at all. So where did you move to when you moved out? I moved in with a friend, Morgan, to a house in Donaldson, which is just a little east of Nashville. Yeah. It was a cheap house. Her family owned it. Um, had a fun time. And so were you still committed to not dating? No. Okay. <laughs> at this point, at this point, I realized you actually do have to date if you ever want to get married. But I was still very committed to the purity culture stuff and was on the hunt for a husband. So now I want you to bring us kind of up to speed with knowing some of your background and kind of intersecting with your current life. 
So here you are today, right? Not identifying as a Christian, you know, divorced, a mom, doctorate in counseling. So how did you make that leap from where you were having just moved out of the family home, completing your undergrad degree to then, you know, having this master's degree, this doctorate, getting married, having kids kind of bring us up to speed because that's a major girl. That's a major leap. (laughs) So in just a few years. Yeah. So, I mean, my twenties were really spent very committed to evangelical Christianity, doing mission trips, um, leading student ministry, searching for a husband, a godly husband. And then when I was 28, I met James and within three months we were engaged. Okay. Back up, back up. (laughs) How'd you meet him? What happened? Where were you? What was he wearing? It was New Year's Eve. Two of my friends and I went to a bar for New Year's Eve. And one of my friends invited two of her friends who were guys to come out to this bar for New Year's Eve with us. And we did not know that she had invited anyone. We had no idea. And then she starts talking to this guy across the room. And this guy is gorgeous. And he's wearing this pink tie and he's got this blonde hair and he's just so cute. He looks like a Ken doll. And I say to my friend, Amy, like, who is that guy that she is talking to? Like, he is so hot. And Amy's like, he is so young. I said, no, he's not. He's my age. I'm telling you, he's my age. Cause he looked, he looked young. He has, he has a baby face and it was James and we meet, I flirt a lot. He's very drunk and remembers very little of this interaction. Which, Even if he wasn't drunk, he'd still remember of this interaction. <laughs> right. He, just, he only remembered a little of it. And then I was smitten. But again, he didn't remember much about meeting me. And then I did everything I could to get in front of him over and over and over again after that. <laughs> So how old were you then and how old are you now? So I was 28 then. I will be 35 in two weeks. Seven years ago, were you on Facebook? Were you stalking? Were you asking everybody about him? Was he asking about you? How did you get together for like, you said you tried to put yourself in front of him, but like, how did you nail him down? So I made Amy add him on Facebook first. And then he accepted. And so then I added him on Facebook. And then I, I don't know if Jamie knows this to this day, (laughs) but, and then I, I'm going to use air quotes, accidentally messaged James instead of somebody else. It wasn't an accident. It was totally on purpose. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) totally. ways of women. Yes. Yeah. And then we started talking on there. And then my other friend who knew James at the time told him, Hey, Alyssa likes to go swing dancing if you ever need a partner because James likes to go swing dancing. I had never been swing dancing. That is, I've a never lie. done that. It was, a, it was a lie. And so. Sure I do. Right. And so he had, he one day needed a swing dancing partner because his partner was sick or something and reached out to me and said, hey, you want to go swing dancing tonight? And I'm in the middle of Old Navy with my mom and my grandmother. And I'm like, 
oh my God, it's happening. And I had already planned on like <laughs> watching my nephews that night. And I'm frantically texting my sister, like, I have to, I have to go out with this guy. Like, this is, this is super important. And she was like, go. And my mom's like, we'll watch them. Because my mom was ready to get me married <laughs> off too. <laughs> so I had this date set up that was not really a date. Okay. Like it was not a date. It was supposed to be swing dancing in a church. Okay. And was uh, he, was James single? Well, now that you know almost everything about us, let's hang out on social. On Insta, you can find us on Thanks It's the Trauma podcast everywhere else, including our website, just Thanks It's the Trauma. And if you have any questions or want to email us, we would love to get back to you. Thanks It's the Trauma podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so but he was only, single. Only fairly recently divorced. Okay. Um, at that time, only divorced a few months. But yeah. Well, so let's then- pause for our listeners because James, as you heard earlier, had already been married and had already had two children. And so, so you knew this going into the swing dance, right? Like this super yeah. hot guy, recently divorced, two kids, and you're like, he's that hot that I'm all in hundred percent. Oh no. I, the, the kids sold it more for me. It's awesome. Uh, because I had actually, at the time I met James, I was like, okay, so I'm going to be a single lady the rest of my life. So I'm just going to adopt. I want to be a mom. I'm going to adopt. And I'd actually gone to Haiti a month before I met James to make connections to see if I could adopt. I was ready to be a mom. And I felt like my kid was already out in the world. And so when I met James and was like infatuated, him having kids was a bonus, really. I have so many questions right now, Alyssa. <laughs> because yeah. so you're still at this moment, like you're still in purity culture. And you're right, like you're still identical. You just yeah. have gone on oh, a mission trip. Oh, 100%. Tried to, okay. So um, this is where I have so because I did not grow up like this. Like I was a huge slut. I had already had sex with a million people. <laughs> By the time I'm getting into this, you and I have very similar stories because I am astounded by her story. I'm like, we have none of that for over here. So, (laughs) Nikki, and now Nikki and I are confused by this. We're going to interview each other. So you're 28 years old. You're a virgin. Still? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Virgin. Okay, this is amazing. And then, um, but, but so and I no have some funny business. There was no funny business. Not even like, we're not even just talking a technical virgin, like okay. no funny business. Well, that was my next question because I grew <laughs> up in North Carolina in the Bible belt, but all my slutty friends did everything but have sex. <laughs> <laughs> and Apparently I will be honest to thing, you. It's oh. also a thing that some, some girls have anal. Butt sex. Like, yeah. Tough. Technical virgin. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is what it does. 100%. <laughs> no, I was like, you could kiss. That was it. You could so it's all hands. <gasps> okay, you are like an angel. <laughs> so at 28 years old, you still had no STDs. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> at 35, I also still have no STDs. Wow. So. Well, get on it. That means you're not having enough sex. <laughs> What are you All waiting right. for? <laughs> you 
Okay. All right. So this sweet little virgin purity Christian <laughs> is showing up for her date with the guy who's clearly had sex because he has two kids and has been married and is now divorced. And God, I mean, he's at this point, he's so hot, you know, because this is a lot for someone I would imagine that's in purity culture. So anyway, let's skip to the date. So is it super obvious that you don't know how to swing dance right off the bat? 100%. Not only do I not know how to swing dance, I'm also very nervous about swing dancing, period. Like that made me nervous. Like this is not something I know how to do. And then terrified because I'm going on a date with this guy that I have been absolutely, you know, Facebook stalking for two months (laughs) at this point and had been jokingly calling my boyfriend for, for since we met. (laughs) And so... Yeah. I'm like, Apparently, everyone listening, this, it works, you know, don't judge. You just called him your future ex-husband. Aww. <laughs> Aww. 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 <laughs> Alyssa, if it makes you feel better, I just call it manifesting. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, Same. instead of you stalking. Know? Yeah. We've all done it all. Yeah. I have like, have had a thousand. Yeah, I am doing it right now. Let's open up Hinge. I'll tell you who's my next husband, my boyfriend, Andres Cesar right now. Okay, anyway, sorry. Okay, so keep going. You're swing dancing. Did you break an ankle? I did not. And very quickly into it, James figured out, oh, this is a date. This isn't just, (laughs) this isn't just like two new friends getting together doing swing dancing. And he was into it. So that was good. Like we were both like very into it. And like it became a date more than just focusing on swing dancing. So then we, so we did the swing dancing thing and then we left and we went to a bar and we talked for hours and learned a lot about each other's lives. Like way more than you tell somebody on a first date, which to be fair is how first dates go with me. So, (laughs) but. I.e. therapist. (laughs) (laughs) i.e. everyone's on a first date with us right now. Right. It's a hot mess. Welcome <laughs> to is. the train wreck. It is. <laughs> so did you walk away from that date thinking like, I think I'm going to marry this guy? Oh, oh for sure. I, I mean, yes, absolutely. And did you kiss? Was there like a makeout? Session? No. Okay. So here's the thing. At this time, James was also heavily Christian. And was not having sex outside of marriage either. And not only that, so it, wa- it would be three weeks later, James would sit me down a Mexican restaurant in Nashville and read me a note that he had written asking to court me. Oh my God. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> and then we would have our first kiss outside of a Mexican restaurant in the rain. Oh, that is so the notebook. Oh, that's so cute. I love it. Just remember how this story is. I know. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, let's just keep with the happy times right now. Okay, so you date and you fall in love and blah, blah, blah. And you just dropped the bomb early that you were like, you got married three months later or engaged three months? No, no, we got, so yeah, we got engaged three months later. Oh yeah, that's fast. Yeah. Okay. And how did he do it? Or how did you do it? I don't know. Maybe you proposed. No. We were at a park in East Nashville 
And James starts to play me this song. And then my friend Allie is a photographer and she comes walking up and I'm like, what are you doing here? And she's like, oh, I was just taking some pictures. You want to see? And she shows me the camera and shows me James and the boys holding signs in the camera. And it says, will you marry me? You know, Alyssa, will you marry me? And the boys and and James are holding up signs that say this. And then I start, I didn't realize this was happening. And I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? And James gets down on one knee and proposes. And actually a little bit of that is a black hole because it was such a big moment, but it also was really, really scary. And I'm shaking and I'm like, yeah. And I'm so in, but also just so scared because this is such a big commitment, but I wanted it so bad. Yeah. Now you guys, I'm assuming had already told each other that you loved each other and you know, all of that. How long until you got married so that you could have sex? (laughs) I'm sorry. Five months later, five months later, we got married after getting engaged. And where'd Um, you get married at? We got married in Spring Hill, Tennessee, which is south of Nashville. It's this beautiful outdoor wedding venue on October 4th. And yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful day. It was a very, very cold day. It turned out to be the coldest day of the month. Every day around it was really warm in the 60s, 70s. That day was in the 30s, unfortunately. But it was a beautiful day. All right. So da, 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 da. did you have sex on your wedding night? Yes. Oh, good job. See, those of us sluts, like me and Nikki had already had plenty of sex. We were too tired to have sex on our right. I don't know. About you <laughs> that was the most <laughs> exhausting day. I hadn't eaten. Everyone drank That's all the booze. I was, I wanted to go to bed. <laughs> like 99% really of everyone I know does not have sex on their wedding night because that they had sex so every funny. other night before that. No, the only people, the in fact, time. Nikki, I don't know about you. The only people I know that have sex on their wedding night are ones that are virgins. But. Oh, that's I, that's a yeah. sweeping we'll get statement. to my show. I did have sex on my wedding night. You did. It was not oh. like the the glorious, you know, that it should be. It was more of like, yeah, we gotta do this. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, okay. for me, <laughs> not to say it was a bad thing. I was just tired. <laughs> Fox, I was Check too tired. I was. <laughs> I was also pregnant. We'll get into that later. But okay. <laughs> Man, these oh, are going to be good stories. Cannot wait uh, to get them ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I just, so here you've dated for eight months. Everyone knows where the story is going. So what I think is on our listeners' minds, because it's on all my friends and family's minds. And so let's just ask some of those questions, right? Is in okay. those eight months of falling in love and like getting married and, and having sex and like moving in together and starting your life together, you know, what was your greatest fear? Like, what did you think if you ever got divorced, what did you think would be the reason? I was afraid that it would be growing apart okay, or falling out of love. Just over time. So Yeah. Or me missing the signs, like thinking this was God's plan for me, but you know, like maybe it, it wasn't and like this, it, it just would be really hard or yeah. So your inauguration into becoming a wife was also becoming a mother, stepmother at the same time. Yes. When did you and James decide to have your own biological child? So the funny thing is, so my very best friend, Lindsay, 
she and her husband had been trying for a while to have a baby. And then they found out on Monday that they were pregnant and we were so excited for them. And then James said, well, should we try to, and like, you guys could maybe be pregnant at the same time. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, that would be awesome. I found out Friday I was already pregnant. Oh, that's so sweet. So you hadn't been on birth control or anything like that? No, we've done natural family planning, but I was kind of like loosey goosey about it at that point because I was, I was at that point I was okay if I got pregnant. Okay. So now I need you to catch me up because you just said natural family planning again. At what point does the Christianity piece drop for you and James? It was after Jameson was born. So my, okay. my son, my youngest son, it was after he was born. And for James, and I still, I say James because that's... We're talking in past tense. And yes. At the time, you know, it started to fall apart for him first. Reading Rob Bell, you know, that heretic. Some other more progressive, theologically Christian folks, you know, and there was a question of, I think it was, is there really a literal hell or something like, there was something like that for James that was like, you know, struggling with this. And I was like, oh my God, my husband is losing his faith. What if this is the thing that tears us apart? Oh my gosh. You know, he's not a godly husband anymore. And then really just a few months later, it would start to fall apart and unravel for me too. And what made it unravel for me was one day James said, did you know that the Bible is by definition not inerrant because there were errors in the early texts that they have and created the Bible from? And I said, that's not true. Because if that's true, the whole thing falls apart. And he's like, no, it doesn't. And it did. I was right. It did. It all fell apart for me after I really accepted the truth that like there were errors in the early scripts. So by definition, it cannot be inerrant. Once the Bible was not inerrant, in my opinion, the rest of it just fell apart. So I fear being judged for this next statement and I care zero, but I actually think it's a very beautiful thing to let go of faith together. Actually more powerful than, like you said, going separate ways and on separate paths and journeys, but being able to be support for one another as you kind of just dissect a new reality and let yourself unravel so that you can rebuild in kind of spirituality, faith or nothing, you know? So I kind of think it's beautiful. I just needed to kind of catch up from like the 28-year-old virgin to like, I know today where (laughs) you're at in that. So Alyssa, your marriage pretty typical, happy? Like, tell us about your marriage. Any signs that maybe the person that you were married to wasn't their true self of who they were born to be? What was marriage like? Our marriage was great. I mean, we decided before we even got married that we would be committed to growing together. We would go to, you know, marriage retreats every year we would go to marriage counseling. We were just really committed to having a healthy marriage. And so, I mean, we would go to these marriage retreats and do these little games that are designed to show like how well you communicate and things like that. And we'd be the best out of all of these couples, like couples who'd been together 
50 years, couples who'd been together 10 years and we'd been married one and we would be the ones that like did the thing faster than anybody because we could communicate so well. We just, we liked each other and we loved each other. And we, we did, we worked so hard at being good at marriage. And I think that was a goal for James because of having been married before and that marriage not working was wanting to be good at marriage. And I think like he really was, you know, he put forth every effort that he could into being a good husband. And so, you know, we had, we had a good marriage and there were no signs for me that James was really Jamie. You know, the most that I could say is, you know, James had a a limited emotional range, which is not unusual for men, right? In our culture, lots of men don't experience a range of emotions because they're told that they shouldn't. And so that made sense with his history, upbringing, you know, and so that's it. And now knowing Jamie, Jamie has, Jamie has all the feelings. And so now again, hindsight, like I can put the two next to each other and see, okay, that if anything, that would be a sign that James was not fully whole. But again, like culturally, it fits. So even looking at it that way, like, no, there really weren't any signs. So like, and I'm going to dig even deeper in this because people are curious, right? And so, so your idea of what sex should be or should look like, that was good and normal for you in your marriage, it sounds like, and your dating life. I mean, I think that there's a misconception out there. Like people are like, oh, did you ever catch him in your clothes? And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, why, why? Like if my husband was wearing my thong, why would I have been married? <laughs> like we all have children here, which means we were sexually, very sexually charged and attracted to our partners. So Melissa, I just wanted to kind of make sure that we said that for listeners and your story. Right. Like, yeah, there, no. <clears throat> no, yeah, there were, there was no, there were no signs in our, in our marriage that James was really a trans woman. No. Yeah. So leading up in episode one, we heard about the bombshell being dropped at the birthday party. What was it like for the couple of months or the week before that happened? Before James told you about becoming Jamie? You know, at that point, we were both still finding our way through spirituality and connecting to different things faith-wise or spiritually. And so, you know, that was part of where we were, was both kind of exploring on our own, our own individual spirituality. And so I think part of that is, is where Jamie is born. It was in that spiritual journey, recognizing that she really was trans. So, I mean, I was aware for sure that we were both kind of figuring some of that spiritual stuff out and that there were, that was just a, it's an uncomfortable process to kind of lay everything out and go like, what do I, and don't I believe and what stays, what goes. And so we were both kind of still in that process. So that's kind of where we were the couple of months before, I would say, and, and even, you know, butting heads at times of, on some of that and not landing in some of the same places, which I think is fine, but again, kind of led to where we ended up. So like the morning of, pretty normal day, 
on that day, did you wake up still thinking I'm going to be married to this person forever? Of course. Absolutely. I was very, yes, committed to James. Yeah. I think it's important that this is where we talk about the introduction of trauma. So hearing Alyssa, you walk through your whole story and like the fun and the love and, and the creating a family and changing and journeying together and waking up in the morning thinking, you know, I love my life and it's going to be like this forever. And then a major trauma being introduced and we each have our own unique stories that we're going to go through. But that's where, thanks, it's the trauma comes from. Alyssa, thank you for sharing that big story. Next episode, we're going to dive into my story. And the episode after that, we're going to dive into Heidi's story. Then we'll move into the aftermath and the coping and the healing and the grief of all of this and how each one of us are on different planes and levels, but at the same time in the same place. So thanks. It's the trauma. Thanks. It's the trauma podcast is not a substitute for therapy or mental health advice. If you or someone you love is in crisis, please call 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. You can also text the word HOME to 741-741 to reach a trained crisis counselor. You're a peach. Thanks. It's the trauma.